Hello, and welcome to Decent Jobs on a Living Planet, an environmental podcast where we talk to people, from experts to activists, about just transition and what it means from a Scottish perspective. The term just transition originates from trade unions. So what does it mean? We know that fossil fuels are fueling the climate crisis and we need to move away from them. However, fossil fuel industry is a major player in Scottish and UK society and economy. There are 30,000 people directly employed in the UK offshore oil industry, a further 70,000 in domestic supply chains, and thousands more living in communities heavily reliant on the fossil fuel industry. How do we make a transition away from fossil fuels in a way that is just for workers, communities and the planet? With the global pandemic and economic turmoil, the context of discussions around just transition are hugely different now. While jobs in many industries are looking precarious, jobs in the fossil fuel industry are more precarious than ever and workers' rights have come to a forefront. Talking about a just transition is therefore more important than ever. Due to social distancing measures, we've recorded this episode over video call. Thank you for your patience, as the sound quality may vary throughout. In this episode, we're sharing with you the second part of an interview we did with Annabelle Pinker, a researcher from the James Hutton Institute. We are discussing her forthcoming report for the Just Transition Commission, which compares approaches taken by different countries to Just Transition. Hi Annabelle, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us about the range of really interesting research you've been doing, which fits really well with the theme of our podcast, Decent Jobs on a Living Planet. So yeah, could you tell me a bit about the research you've been doing? Am I right in understanding that you've been profiling approaches to um, a just transition internationally? Yeah, so last year I was basically commissioned to, by the Just Transition Commission, to explore what kinds of just transition approaches have been undertaken and are being undertaken in other parts of the world. Um, And the report was basically uh, intended to look at look comparatively at those different approaches and draw some key findings from them that might be useful for the just transition process or a prospective just transition process if it were to happen in Scotland. Um, So the report looked at the cases of Norway, uh, the United States, Canada, Germany and actually Peru as well. And it was an interesting process, um, partly because I think it showed, it really demonstrated that just transition in terms of its nationally led, um, nationally led frameworks um, have been extremely focused on coal and coal transitions. So that's really what we see in terms of national uh, just transition processes which are happening in the US, um, in Canada and in Germany. And actually national isn't really, yeah, I mean the, na- any national process which is unfolded in those places is, has arisen from regional 
processes that have begun there. So for example, in Canada, um, a lot of the work that is being taken forward nationally has built on regional processes, particularly uh, ones that started in Alberta, where um, obviously there's a dependence on, uh, a particular dependence on fossil fuels and particularly coal. And in Germany, in Germany similarly, um, the Coal Commission, which recently reported in Germany, has built quite a lot on the experiences in the Ruhr Valley, which have been in a process of transition from heavy industry and coal since, well, the 1950s, 60s, 70s. Um, so yes, one of the key fundings I would say is that is just how far just transition processes, processes have been uh, focused thus far on transitioning away from coal. Um, and this has been, I think, interesting up to a point because I think it's, it does show us certain dynamics around what happens when you attempt to transform an economy. But in many ways, um, coal is not, not wanting to in any way diminish the complexity of making a, a, an economic transition of that kind. But in, it is more low-hanging fruit in the sense that in many cases uh, the economic case for leaving coal behind has been quite strong. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's expensive. Um, in, in the case of the Ruhr in Germany, it was very clear that they were going through significant, the area was going through significant downturns in terms of demand for coal and um, it became necessary economically. I think what we're facing now uh, is very different. Um, just transition is at least in part making a case for um, large-scale transformation to take place even where there isn't uh, an immediate economic demand to do so um, because there's there's a uh, there's a need uh, for radical ecological and in, and uh, and ecological change and uh, systemic change in response to uh, the the sorts of goals which are being set in the Paris Agreement and uh, elsewhere for a more radically decarbonized economy. So in a sense, the sorts of just transitions which are going to start, that, that countries are going to need to start designing now, are starting off on a different foot. You know, it's, it, it is arguably a more complex scenario because um, we're dealing with this, uh, not just these kinds of um, delimited, uh, industries, not, not one delimited industry, but a whole uh, economy, if you like, which systemically across the board is dependent on, on fossil fuels. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a very complex proposition. And it's a complex proposition to propose um, a just transition when some might say that it would push economies into freefall, 
the approaches taken abroad could be used in the Scottish context? And also, what can we learn from these international approaches? Yeah, so I've already said that because they, a number of the cases I studied were carried out in coal dependent regions. Um, there's, there are interesting things that can be learned from the way that uh, other countries have managed um, complex industrial uh, transition and transformation processes. But obviously, we're facing something rather different from what, because of what I've just said, but also because we're actually, we're talking about, in Scotland in particular, we're really talking about the oil and gas industry. Um, and as yet, from the research that I've done, I can't find, haven't been able to find very much, which looks at transition processes which are already underway or are well-developed that are concerned with transitioning fossil fuel, or rather oil and gas dependent countries towards different economic systems. Um, so, for example, there are standout examples like Costa Rica and Uruguay in, in Latin America, Costa Rica and Central America. Um, in both cases, as I understand it, they're making nearly 100% of their electricity from clean energy, um, which is wonderful. But they're small countries with populations of three to five million. Huge amounts of Costa Rica's energy is generated through hydroelectricity, which is an energy source with its own ecological and social justice concerns, obviously. Um, and it's these are places which have access to radically different sorts of resources to the ones that perhaps are available in, in a place like Scotland. <clears throat> um, but uh, so, and, an, and I mean, another example by comparison is the example of Norway. So that was also included in the report. And Norway is an interesting case, actually, because Norway has, um, although it domestically um, it is increasingly headed, it's ever more, ever more decarbonized. I, I'm not entirely sure what the percentage of decarbonization is there now, but it's uh, impressive the, the extent to which the Scandinavian countries have been able to um, decarbonize their, their, um, their, the, the, their infrastructures, their energy infrastructures um, domestically. But Norway has a huge sovereign fund, um, which is built effectively on the proceeds from their oil industry, which the vast amount of the oil produced, the vast majority of it is exported. And the way that they've handled that or are handling uh, that ongoing process, because as I understand it from their current strategy documents, they have no plans to uh, foster a just transition uh, for that uh, for their oil industry in Norway, according to central government strategy documents. Let's say to the the extent to which that's actually shared in the population would be interesting to look at more. I think there is a lot of um, debate about that which is going on. But in terms of current uh, Norwegian 
strategy documents that I was able to look at in within the last two or three years, basically the plan is to carry on extracting oil and gas and to and the justification for doing so is twofold one is that uh, they wish to be able to make use of carbon capture and storage technologies which are obviously very much in development uh, there are lots of issues around ccs uh, which we could probably there isn't scope to discuss here but there are lots of questions around its viability um, and the second thing is that um, they are offsetting their, so what they what they export or the effects the carbon generated through what they export of their oil and gas they offset through uh, many projects which they're undertaking in particularly in developing countries and reforestation projects in particular um, in the rest of the world and in fact Peru is one of the places uh, which Norway uh, to which Norway has directed a lot of funding to support um, carbon offset projects, uh, which, for example, red projects, which are designed to keep trees in the ground, uh, so give communities money to prevent trees being cut down, that kind of thing, which have other critiques tied up with them, which I won't go into here. Um, but that's an example to you of the kinds of debates that are going on, the kinds of scenarios that, we, that, that are out there with regard to fossil fuel, uh, sorry, to oil and gas uh, dependent countries. I have not really been able to find very many examples of countries which are really seriously contemplating a transition from oil and gas. And I, I mean, one is it would be very interesting to look at what's going on, if there are any sorts of debates going on in places like United Arab Emirates and then Dubai and you know there's very little out there that I could find. I really focused on uh, countries where there is quite a lot of material available um, but it would be very interesting to know what if there are any debates and what the debates are that are going on around transitioning countries which are extremely heavily into exporting and and also making use themselves domestically of, of oil. Um, so I would say that's the, the that's the that's the key limit of the report. You know that really I think it really demonstrates that if Scotland were to undertake a just transition, it it's, it could only be more ambitious <laughs> than what has been seen in terms of national projects which are being led elsewhere. Um, I should say very briefly that, you know, Canada, Germany have made uh, it very impressive strides in terms of their just transition policies and strategies in the context, particularly in the context of coal. So I don't want to leave out the fact that this stuff is happening. All I'm really pointing to is that it's relatively delimited by the coal industry it, itself, you know, that so that the emphasis is very much on policies such as retraining, uh, building up community resilience uh, and training hubs that enable people to reskill. Um, in Germany and the Ruhr Valley, you're seeing actually some very interesting projects around cultural heritage, for example, converting um, old industrial sites into cultural sites and heritage sites, which can become spaces 
uh, of the arts and of leisure. Um, and yeah, I would say that the Ruhr, what's happened in the Ruhr Valley has been quite broad based. You know, they've brought in, uh, for example, um, they've built and established you know, new universities, new forms of education, I guess, in the context of transition. But it is a transition process which has been taking place over 50 years or, or more. So, again, I think we have to ask ourselves what, what, ah, what, what does transition look like in the context of having to craft it potentially, really, within the next 10 years? You know, it's, it's um, the sorts of moves that we are going to have to make are fairly radical in a in really quite a short space of time. I also think there's a, it's very important as well to recognise that just transition as a term that is, is started circulating in pretty recently. Lots of local projects, lots of regional projects, which don't bandy around the term just transition, um, have been doing all sorts of things that are uh, orientated towards trying to foster transition in different parts of the world. But perhaps, you know, their efforts don't necessarily get captured uh, under the phrase just transition. So we need to recognise that there are whole, you know, ongoing campaigns around environmental justice, and um, uh, which have been ongoing for many years in different parts of the world. Um, so we, we shouldn't just assume that just transition is the only um, uh, is the only container for this. It's, you know, there are lots of different discourses which are being used, particularly in developing countries where actually just transition is not uh, considered nearly so relevant, uh, where actually it's much more about local people having to uh, deal with the fallout from mining or the fallout from uh, oil extraction and petroleum companies taking extracting oil in the Amazon things like that. It's you could frame that under a just transition, but it, it, it I think the attention to uh, questions around labour uh, that are really emphasised in just transition means that it's 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 a term which is really circulated much more in Europe and in America in the Americas. Um, and there are other terms which would have more purchase in places where people are literally at the coalface, uh, forgive the pun, of uh, the extractive industries. Uh, and I would say environmental justice would probably be the term that would be more used in those sorts of contexts. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I guess like as we're speaking right now we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic so the context has changed a lot even probably from when you started writing a report um, and from the Scottish context you know we've been told there's going to be tens of thousands of job losses in the oil and gas sector um, there's been discussions of will there or will there not be a bailout um, and the Scottish government has also been consulting the um, the Climate Change Committee on how their updated climate change plan could like contribute to this a green recovery for Scotland. So I was just wondering if there's any aspects of your research um, that you think are particularly relevant to this new social and economic context um, under like you know pandemic conditions and, um, and coming out of that. Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, I, I had literally just about sort of 
finished the second draft of the report at the time that the COVID-19 scenario started searching up. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the coronavirus obviously does present us with a, the really sh a sharp edge of um, of what it, it 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 is such a provocation, isn't it? I think, in the sense that as many have now written, the likes of Aaron Darty Roy, Rebecca Solnit, many others who've been talking about the way that COVID nineteen is making visible injustices that have long been inscribed in how we live, how we generate energy, how our economy is run. Um, and even, you know, we can see just through these appalling statistics that, um, sorry, apologies, my computer's making noises. Um, these appalling statistics of uh, uh, black and ethnic minority groups being four times as likely perhaps to um, to die as a result of coronavirus um, than, than white people, you know? And these things, you know, obviously there's a lot of debate going on about the extent to which that's connected to uh, genetic factors, or actually, could it actually be to do with the fact that uh, the, it, so many, um, black ethnic minority peoples are actually in professions or at the sharp edge of the professions that are most exposed to coronavirus and of course in the context of Boris Johnson's um, Sunday uh, announcement about going back to work we can see that these sorts of divisions and these sorts of inequities are even more even 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 more sharpened um, those who are privileged enough to stay at home, those who um, might be forced to take public transport, uh, might be forced to expose themselves in workplaces that aren't yet safe. Uh, these are the sorts of divisions that are coming to the fore. Um, so I think one of the things, one of the effects that coronavirus has had is that it's ensured that we can see more not that necessarily that we haven't seen it before, but that it, it has brought those existing um, inequities to the fore in a way which perhaps hasn't had to be acknowledged in the same way before. And I think that, that it's obviously devastating what's, what's uh, appeared, um, what's made itself visible, but I think it also is very there is an opportunity inscribed in in that in that it 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 the demand for a response is even is even more sharpened um i don't think it per se in and of itself it necessarily alters the parameters of what a just transition should be no i don't think it does not particularly i think it precisely because I think it demonstrates what has always already been there um, and I think it it is another argument for the urgency of our situation um, and so I think the questions around um, just transition with respect to a just transition and the relevance of coronavirus to that I think what it does is that it makes an argument for a broader based just transition um, I think it 
it makes an it really makes the case for the the how systemic are the changes that we need that was great thank you so much for that um and just as a final question uh, what are your hopes for the future in terms of a just transition and is there anything in particular that you think needs to be done or avoided as we come out the other side of this pandemic to ensure that there is a chance of a just transition becoming a reality? Yep, I think that what I would most hope for and what I think most needs to be avoided too is renormalisation. And I, I am amongst many others calling for this. Let us, let us not return to normal, which is obviously going against uh, what's the, the, the kind of um, the cry that's coming, the rallying cry, which is coming from many parts of the country uh, and particularly Westminster as well, but of we must return to normal as quickly as possible. I would like to see that there is a real space for reflection opened up by this and that uh, the wounds and the problems uh, and the deep-seated inequalities that continue and in not just in the human world but also in terms of our relationship with um, uh, with the wild and with uh, nature uh, which is obviously inscribed in the origins of, of COVID-19 is also reflected upon in such a way that actually we can alter the way that we live uh, in relation to other people and other beings in, in general. Um, and I don't know how hopeful I am for that. <laughs> I think it will be a mixed bag. I think it will also evolve. Um, I don't, I think there's a huge amount uh, which is unfolding at the moment which needs to be reflected upon. But I hope that there will be space over the coming weeks and months to not take for granted that everything that we once had should be what we should be striving now to return to. But that in fact, we should be looking at using this as an opportunity for crafting forms of change, which would be of great and rich benefit to ourselves and our planet. Wonderfully put. I hope that I hope that can become a reality too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Well thank you so much for joining us. It was really great to speak to you today. Thanks yeah, thank very you. much for having me. Thank you. Your internet connection was also fabulous. So thank <laughs> you for your internet connection. <laughs> I'm I'm patting the router now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah again thank you so much Angel for speaking with us today about your research. It was really interesting to hear about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. You'll be able to find Annabel Pinker's forthcoming report, Just Transitions, a comparative study, on the Just Transition Commission website when it comes out. This podcast was brought to you by Young Friends of the Earth Scotland, a network of young activists fighting for climate and social justice. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. This podcast is supported by the Erasmus Plus programme of the European Union. With thanks also to Scottish Communities Climate Action Network.